Merry Christmas. I hope you have some uh, holiday stories in your family that are kind of that wholesome and nice. Maybe you have some holiday traditions that you have, and, and church being one of them, hopefully. I'm glad that you're here today. My family has some holiday traditions as well. I mean, one of them is I love kind of sitting snuggled up on the couch watching a Christmas movie. Any fans of watching Christmas movies? Actually, I think Christmas stories in general, movies or songs or poems or things are a huge part of the Christmas season. So my family has a couple movies that we watch every year, and it doesn't really feel like Christmas until the Grinch tries to steal it to me. So this year, as I was watching some movies, I kind of noticed how iconic these stories really are. I mean, from one sentence, we can probably identify the Christmas movie. So that's what I want to do. Just to kind of get us into the Christmas spirit a little bit, I'm going to read one sentence, and I want to see if you guys can shout out the Christmas movie. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. The one that the main character was mercilessly made fun of for being different, but the boss came in and needed his help on a last-minute Christmas project. Name that Christmas movie. Rudolph. That's right. That's right, Rudolph. People in last service had no idea. I thought it was easy, but here we go. Okay, here's the second one. Ready? A mom and dad traveled to Europe on Christmas with one son left to defend their estate against thieves who called themselves the wet bandits. That's right. Home Alone. That's right. If I had said the sticky bandits, that's Home Alone too. Okay? All right. Here's here's my favorite one that we've got. All right. A strained marriage leads to a foiled international terrorist attack at Nakatomi Plaza. Die Hard. It's a Christmas movie. I'll go to my grave. It is a Christmas movie. I have like a 10 point PowerPoint that like will show you. That's not what we're going to do today. But if you want to talk to me about it, it is a Christmas movie. Ho, ho, ho. It's a Christmas movie. Okay. All right. This last one. The one where the main character came back from working a corporate job to her hometown to save the bakery and the farm and the library and the antique shop from closing while also meeting that special someone. Okay. You got it? You got it? It's a Hallmark movie. Well, was it this Hallmark movie? Or was it, was it this Hallmark movie? Or was it one of these Hallmark movies? They're all the same. It's fine. I mean, there's something that is in common with all of these stories and songs and movies and poems that we think about and we tell around Christmas time is they all end really well. We think it's a Christmas miracle and things are great and, and that's, that's not a bad thing. But sometimes the stories in our lives don't maybe contain that same peace on earth and joy to the world as, as some of these movies. And as I was watching some of these movies this year, I was also thinking about the story that God is writing in all of our lives. It kind of brought up this question to me. What Christmas story is God writing in your life right now? Like, is it the Hallmark stuff? Like everything's holly jolly twinkle jingle and that's great and I hope that's true and if that is true for you, we praise God for that. Maybe the story God is writing is how things are significantly different for you than last year. Maybe in a good way. Maybe in a not so good way. Maybe the story that God is writing is more complicated than you'd like for it to be. 
There's a little good and a little bad and a lot of worry and a lot of things to figure out in your life right now. Or maybe the story God is writing is one you just don't quite know how it's going to end. And honestly, you don't know if you're going to like the ending. So what Christmas story is God writing in your life right now? Because here's the thing. I believe that he is writing one, whether you're aware of the Christmas story being written or not, whether you love this chapter of the Christmas story or not, whether you know how it's going to end or not. But no matter what's going on in your Christmas story that God is writing this year, I believe this is true, that God is in control of your story, even when you don't see it. And I think this is true no matter what time of year it is. It's not just a Christmas thing, but the Christmas story is this great reminder of how God has been in control of the story the whole time. He's been writing the story the whole time, and his storytelling is really good. Like he's an amazing storyteller, even when we don't fully understand how it's all going to come together. Now, I don't know what holiday traditions you're going to kind of go through today, but there's one part of the Christmas story in the Bible that has never been one of my holiday traditions. Actually, I skip over it. I don't gravitate towards it at all. It's actually in the book of Matthew. That's the first book of the New Testament, kind of second part of the Bible. And it starts with this huge list of names. It's a genealogy. And some of you might be interested because you've, you know, taken the time to to spit into the tube and send it off to 23andMe or whatever. But just reading a list of names is not on my holiday to-do list. I don't know how Santa does it and checks it twice. I don't know. But I'm going to warn you, this is not what we feel like is a typical Christmas story. But this is how it starts. This is Matthew 1.1. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. This seems unnecessary, doesn't it? Like a long list of names. Can we just skip, get to the good part? Why is this even in the Bible? Well, one of the main points, I think, of this list of names is that God has been at work for a really long time. And it starts with Abraham, and spoiler alert, it ends with Jesus. Generation after generation, 1,700 years. And the lineage that's shown here would have been really, really important to a Jewish person. It shows the purity of the bloodline. I mean, basically that Jesus is actually the fulfillment of God's plan, that he planned this, that he wrote the story this way. It's similar to the bloodline of like a royal family, but it goes way back, all the way back to the beginning. So we get 16 verses of so-and-so is the father of such-and-such. And And that's nice, I guess, but I skip it because I I don't always slow down and, and pay attention to the story that God was writing. But I think that there's some really amazing storytelling that's in this list of names. So Abraham has Isaac, and Isaac has Jacob, and Jacob has a bunch of sons, including Judah. And Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Let me tell you a Christmas story about Tamar. So Judah had three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. I love Old Testament names. Love them. But Tamar married Ur. 
And Ur died, and it was expected, it was culturally appropriate at the time for the next of kin, Ur's brother, to take care of the widow. So Tamar was given to Onan, who died. And Shelah, the third son, was still a boy. So Judah asked Tamar to come back when Shelah was grown up. But Judah didn't honor that promise, and Tamar was in a pretty bad spot. So she went into town disguised as a prostitute, tricked Judah into sleeping with her, became pregnant with twins, Perez and Zerah. This is in Genesis 38. It's the first book of the Old Testament. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Doesn't feel very Christmassy. This isn't in a Hallmark movie. Like, what is happening? See, like, it's so interesting to me that this is a critical part of the story that God wrote. It includes people and maybe things that we consider scandalous or inappropriate even. But this is in the genealogy, the history of Jesus. God chose Tamar to be a part of the Christmas story. Can you imagine if you knew Tamar and you saw her on this list and you'd be like, hey, uh, just quick thing, God, do you know her story? Like, can, can you believe that she's a part of the story? Like Tamar? Like it's Tamar. Or maybe you're like me. I kind of relate to Tamar because I've made some mistakes. And I've done some things that I'm not proud of. And it is just incredible to me that God would write the story using people like me and you. But that's not the only story like that in the genealogy. So check out verse 5, a couple of generations later. So Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now Salmon is the great, 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 one, two, three, great, great grandson of Tamar, give or take a generation. My math is not great, I'm a pastor. But they're related, right? It's a generation. And Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. So let me tell you a Christmas story about Rahab. Rahab's story is in Joshua 2 through 6 or so in the Old Testament. So, the people of Israel, God's people, led by Joshua, are about to take over the promised land that were given and promised to them by God. Now, Joshua sent in two spies to check things out. And the king of Jericho, where they were, found out that there were spies there and ordered them to be brought to him so he could kill them. And Rahab is where the spies spies are staying, and she protects them. She hides them on her roof. She follows all of the instructions. She's obedient to God. And that all sounds pretty good, except for the fact that Rahab was a very well-known prostitute. She ends up marrying Salmon, an Israelite from the tribe of Judah. Jesus is her direct descendant. And I think this is kind of like a Christmas miracle spy movie a little bit. I mean, she sheltered spies. They survived the battle. It's a part of the Christmas story. But think about it. This is how God wrote this story. And there are so many instances in this 16 verses of the genealogy. Here's another one. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Let me tell you a Christmas story about Ruth. So Boaz married Ruth, a foreigner, an outcast, actually. Israelites weren't supposed to marry foreigners. It was it was forbidden, but Boaz decided to take care of a family member, including marrying Ruth, and God uses someone who's incredibly unlikely 
to be part of the story as a main character in the story. So much so that Ruth probably wasn't allowed to go to church and worship with them because she was a foreigner. There's a whole book of the Bible about Ruth because God chose her to be part of the Christmas story. So fast forward some. This one's a doozy, okay? Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. So let me tell you a story, a Christmas story about Bathsheba. So the David that's talked about here is the same one in the story of David and Goliath. Same guy. He's the king of Israel. And Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, was a woman that David seduced. And David made it so that her husband, Uriah, was killed in battle because he could do that. And Bathsheba's first child died, but eventually she had a son, Solomon. And I need to tell you, that's not really the full story that happens. The consequences from David's sin was a huge deal. It destroyed his family. But right smack dab in the middle of this murder and terrible stuff, God is writing the story. So let's recap. We haven't even gotten to the shepherds or the angels or the wise men or any of that. The recap is Jesus' lineage included an adulteress, a prostitute, a story of a murderer seducing a woman whose husband he killed. Ruth, who was an outcast, who wasn't of Jewish heritage, wouldn't even be welcome to go to church. This is not how we would write the story, is it? This isn't how we'd write a Christmas story. It doesn't feel Christmassy at all. So here's the next one. So Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. See, God had been writing the story for hundreds of years. He had been working, he'd been preparing, he'd been guiding for generation after generation after generation. And God's story included Tamar and included Rahab, once the prostitute, now in the lineage of Jesus. Can you imagine being in those situations? What story that Ruth or Bathsheba thought that God was writing for them? They didn't get to see the results, actually. They didn't get to see what God was doing. So now let me tell you a Christmas story about Mary. Now Mary's the mother of Jesus. She was a, a teenager, a, a likely person to be used by God. And she is the one in all the nativity scenes and in the Christmas story. And Mary gave birth to Jesus, who's called the Messiah. Finally, something familiar. This is the story that the holiday tradition goes around. This is the one we read every year when our kids are bursting at the seams to open presents or whatever. You might be more familiar with this part too, that Jesus, the, the Son of God, came to Mary just like God had promised for centuries and for generations. And this baby grew up and saved the world. Here's my point. God is in control of the story, even when you don't see it. And I don't know what Christmas story God is writing in your life right now. But even when we don't understand how he could possibly be working in our situation, he's writing the story. And even when we don't want it to end the way that it looks like it's going to end, he is writing the story. And even when the story doesn't make sense to us, and even when maybe 
definitely when the full story doesn't feel Christmassy, he is writing the story. God is in control of your story. And one thing that I learned from reading Matthew 1 is that God is an amazing storyteller. And his stories have the perfect ending. So what story is God writing in your life right now? Listen, I know, I know that sometimes at Christmas we want, we want the story to be like the Hallmark movie. Holly jolly twinkle jingle. And I, I have to tell you, this year I haven't felt that as much. Maybe it's because it's 60 degrees today. I don't know. But I don't know what's happening in your life right now but I believe that God is writing a story. He's writing it in your life. This Christmas is a part, it's a chapter in your story. And the Christmas story doesn't actually end or even start where we think it should. It starts way back at the beginning in this royal lineage. And it doesn't end with a baby being born. It ends with the baby growing up to be the savior of the world. And the story includes Jesus living a perfect life, Jesus teaching and showing us the way to live. The story includes Jesus willingly climbing up on the cross because he stood in our place for our sins where we fall short of God's standard. The story includes Jesus raising on the third day. The story includes Jesus conquering death. The story ends with Jesus returning and those who follow him being with him in heaven. That's the Christmas story. And it's an epic story written over thousands of years. And it continues in your life today. So is God writing a story that you have no idea how he's going to use? Maybe like Tamar? How could he possibly be working in your story? Maybe you think that like Bathsheba would have thought that. See, the chapter you're in, no matter what's happening, here's what I know. God is writing your story and you're a part of it. And maybe there are parts of the story that are unexpected and maybe it goes beyond the typical Christmas stories that we tell. But if God can write the story for a murderer and a prostitute and an adulteress and an outcast and a teen, he can also write your story. And it can be pretty incredible. And while you might not find yourself on a list of people like in Matthew 1, you definitely have the opportunity to be a part of the royal family. So this Christmas, trust that God's story in your life is good. Even if you don't understand all of it. And this Christmas, remember that your story isn't finished. And your story is intersecting with the most amazing, perfect Christmas story ever told. And your story isn't over, and neither is the Christmas story. God is in control of the story, even when we don't see it. I'd like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, I'm, I'm grateful for the story that you write, even in the chapters that are confusing or difficult or make us question things. I trust, God, that you are in control of our stories. You're in control of what's happening. 
You're in control of what will happen. And sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our mind around it, but what an amazing reminder that you have been writing the Christmas story for centuries leading up to that first Christmas. And you knew the whole time, the whole plan was for Jesus to come to be Emmanuel, God with us. And that you loved us so much that you would send Jesus, not to judge the world, but to save the world, to save us, to save me. I'm so grateful for the Christmas stories that you are writing right now. Help us see who you are. Help us see what you're doing. Help us respond and trust you and be a part of these amazing Christmas stories that you're still writing today. And thank you that the Christmas story isn't over, that it started with Abraham years and years before, all the way through the manger in an unexpected way, to the cross, to an empty tomb, all the way to our anticipation of being with you in heaven. That's the Christmas story that we get to celebrate today. Thank you, God, for your epic Christmas story. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.